Good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Peter Herzog, and we are in the middle of this series on 1 Peter. And these last few verses are on Satan. And so Pastor Paul decided to bring in his Satan expert and speak this morning. (laughs) Apparently. So I had the joy of last few weeks uh, studying Satan. (laughs) And... And uh, um, pointing things back to him. When, you know, you, when you study something, you kind of get that as your focus. And so I find all sorts of ways that uh, I, I see him playing out in our culture and all uh, our day-to-day life. And um, it, it immediately brought to mind a story for me. Uh, when, if you don't know me, I know me. I have this uncle who's this crazy missionary. He goes around the world and... Um, he has this band, and they, they go play in the darkest places they can find in the world. And, and uh, he invited me to come, Joy and I to come along, my wife to come along. And we went to, to this uh, uh, one place where they, they play, this, they, they play a, a concert, and they present Jesus in this really dark place that you'd never expect Jesus to be presented. And then what they do is afterward, they have kind of like a fan club meeting. And it's like a, a rock, they also they call it a rock and roll Bible study and, and after, like the day after, they'll invite everyone to come back to the venue and do a little Bible study there uh, and, and kind of get to know who, Je- who this Jesus is that we just played about. Well, this one particular night, it was in a venue called Tribe House, which is this really dark place. And one of the reasons why is it's a, um, it's a theater and a club that's... Uh, built on top of a warehouse for pornography. And so everything, you know, they just have apparently tons of it down there. And so we did this concert, presented Christ, and the next day came back and did a Bible study in a club above a warehouse filled with pornography. And it's just a bizarre thing to be doing. And so we, uh, we gathered and people came, and David, my uncle, asked me if I would lead worship. So I had a acoustic guitar and I, I sang a song and did a little teaching, and it was fascinating and amazing because in the middle of it, this guy comes running up from the basement, looks kind of disturbed, and asks what is going on up here, and we told him while we're doing a Bible study and, and a guitar, you know, worshiping God, and that didn't really clear things up for him, but um, <laughs> we, that's what we were doing, so we went, he said... I need you to come here with me. And so we went downstairs into his office, and he, apparently he was the stage manager at this club. And uh, we sat down, and he said, I'm sitting in my office, and all of a sudden I felt something break in me. That's the way, that was the way he described it. And as, at the same time I felt something break in me, the mirror on my wall shattered. And he pointed to the wall, and we look, and there's this cracked mirror right in the wall. And he was looking at us like we were the cause of this. <laughs> and w- the amazing thing is, that at this club, they do big concerts with subwoofers, and they shake the building. And here we were with an acoustic guitar playing, and we shattered the mirror on his wall. And at that moment, we got to explain to him who Jesus was and what we were doing here. And it opened up a very interesting conversation. We, there was a, another guy there that, that developed a relationship with him. 
um, and it opened up an amazing door. And, and I walked away from the conversation going, uh, I don't know the full totality of what is going on outside of what I can see. There's a whole world that's at play and interacting with this world that the Bible talks about, but I don't really fully understand it. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating time. And so my mind was brought there first. And then the next thing was, there is a passage in Daniel 10. So if you have your Bible, open your Bible to Daniel 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody can run around and it will get you a Bible here. So just raise your hand if you need it. Turn to Daniel 10. It's on page 748. And this passage has singularly, singularly had the most profound impact on me in my prayer life than other passages in the Bible. So I want to share it with you. It's a little weird, but I hope we can get it today. And so let me set the story for you. Daniel is mourning, and he's praying for about three weeks. And he says, I ate no delicacies, I ate no meat, I drank no wine, I didn't anoint myself at all. For three weeks, he did this. He's praying for three whole weeks. And then, picking up in verse 12, he sees an angel appear to him, and the angel says to him something fascinating that I hope sticks with you for the rest of the day today. He says this, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. So basically this angel saying, don't be afraid. This is crazy to see an angel, but know this. God has heard your prayer. And he says in verse 12, and I have come because of your words. Now the next verse is one that I hope you'll always remember, and it's this. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Get this. David, or Daniel is, is praying as hard as he knows how. He's, he's fasting, he's praying, and all of a sudden he has a vision of an angel. The angel said, we got your prayer right away. We heard your prayer immediately. But it took him 21 days to get to Daniel. Because of this prince of this, this, because of the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and then he goes on. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. What in the world? And came to make you understand what's about to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. He was blocked by this prince, and then this other prince came. And helped him get away from the prince of Persia, this prince called Michael. Scholars have no doubt that what is being discussed, described here, and shown to us is a picture of the cosmic battle that's going on in the heavenly realm. And that these princes are angelic beings that have authority over certain territories in the world. And so when Daniel prays, the prayer is instantly heard. And the prayer is instantly answered. But yet, there is this blockage of this angel getting to Daniel. 
And this raises a ton of questions. For example, do evil cosmic beings have the power to disrupt a plan of God to answer a prayer? It seems like it, doesn't it? Can these beings negatively affect me? Is it true that whether we hear from God might have to do not only do with God's will in our faith, but also with the will of other beings rebelling against God? And what does this say about prayer and our prayer life? And what does it say that Daniel prayed for three weeks? And what does this say about Satan and demonic forces in our life? I think it says a lot. And, and actually, if you don't hear the rest of this sermon today, if, if none of it touches you, I just hope that this passage bothers you a bit and gives you maybe, maybe, maybe causes you to step back like it, like, like it has for me and go, I don't really know all that's going on outside of what I can see. And so when I pray and ask for God to answer prayer, and, and, and the Bible tells me prayer is important, and it's powerful, and it's also this, it's a way I can wage war in this battle, I don't see how that all works. But apparently, there's a lot going on. So, in this sermon, you're not going to walk away with this incredibly deep understanding of how Satan works. That's not the intention here. And I don't think the Bible shares with us enough to really get a full sense. But I do want to point us to what Jesus says about Satan to start. And then I want to talk a little bit about his strategies in our own life and then what we can do to overcome those strategies. So let's pray before we dive any deeper. Father in heaven, I know my words and my capabilities are are finite. And I'm a sinful being who has a limited understanding. And so God, I pray that you would use this sermon and use these words to bring fruit and to break chains and to set all of us free in some way, shape, or form. God, we see there is a greater world outside of what we see. Lord, help us to have a rightly ordered perspective, and that we would stand on your name to face it all. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. All right, so, Jesus. When he refers to Satan, he uses this word archon, which all that means is this. He refers to him as this high official of the fallen world. And he also talks about how Satan... Um, when Satan tempts Jesus, do you remember in 40 days, Jesus goes in, out into the wilderness and Jesus is tempting him. When Satan offers Jesus the, king, the kingdoms, the, to, to rule over the kingdoms, Jesus doesn't dispute that he has authority over kingdoms. And so what's clear is the whole world is under the power of evil, according to Jesus, and under the power of the evil one. And that Satan is the god of this world, according to Paul. And that Satan is also the ruler of the power of the air. And so, with Daniel 10, and Jesus calling Satan this official over the world, and having been the ruler of the power of the air, we can kind of get a picture that he has authority over what happens in this world. Jesus calls Satan the leader of a unified and pervasive army of spiritual forces and demons. He calls him the ruler of demons, and his fallen angels are his angels. There is a, 
an organized group of these fallen angels. And Jesus saw that his mission was to take what he calls the strong man and pillage his kingdom. Look at this verse. Luke 11, this is Jesus. He has this picture of the strong man. He says this, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So Jesus clearly sees his mission as this, to come to the world where Satan is ruler and to pillage his kingdom and take the spoils, which actually are us and are rightfully God's in the first place. Amen? That is Jesus' role, and that was, that's the mission that Jesus sees that he's taking on. Paul picks up on this in one of my other favorite passages about spiritual warfare, when it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If it has flesh and blood, it's not our enemy, but it, it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he uses this phrase of armor. See, we're talking about battle and warfare here. Therefore, therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. This is warfare language. And I want to back up a little bit to the first part, verse 12. Because what Paul's saying here is, we may have enemies and relationships and people and culture that we deal with and struggle with. But what, what Paul's saying is this. We need to look at the thing behind the thing. There, is, there are rulers and powers and authorities and systems at play in these relationships with the people that we struggle against, in these cultures, maybe in our workplace, maybe we're in our neighborhood, wherever we find ourselves, and there's, there's resistance and there's, there's, there are things that are anti-God. We need to know that we're not fighting against people necessarily. We're fighting against the systems and the the cosmic battle that's behind all of it. There's a correlation between what is happening in the cosmic realm and, and what happens here. And Paul wants to say, we, it's, the flesh and blood is the front of this, but we really need to realize that, that what's at play here is this cosmic, dark battle. That is our fight. That is where we should aim our weapons and our effort. That's why we need the armor of God is, is for that. And I love, also want to emphasize this for, for later in the sermon, is that he says we should stand our ground. This isn't a defensive position. This is a position where we stand our ground and we are on the offensive towards Satan. We are actually standing for what God stands for. And in that, there is an act of warfare. We live in a war zone. Now, in the last few weeks, I've kind of brought this topic up with some friends and people, and I've heard something, and I've heard this phrase that says, I don't experience spiritual warfare. I don't experience it. Now, I'm not surprised about this, because I don't, I think maybe we have this perspective that I've never seen a demon I've never, you know, I watched The Exorcist, but that's just, you know. Uh, I, you know, I've never seen anything like that, someone's head spin. I've never seen, you know, weird things like that happen. Maybe you have, but I think a lot of Western people would say, spiritual warfare? Isn't this the, was it 2017? We have like a rover on Mars? Like, there's just a, 
it, 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 it kind of breaks our paradigm, our typical paradigm. And, and, I, and I think with Christians even, like Christians go, well, I don't like, I can't think of the last time that I battled Satan. That's, that's supposed, to be funny, supposed to be funny. I can't think of the last time that I battled the demon. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember that. Maybe some of you have. I know, I know I'm dealing with a variety of experiences here. But for, for some, you may say, I don't really experience spiritual warfare. And C.S. Lewis had this perspective that it's, a, it's a, uh, a famous quote of his that he has at the beginning of his book, Screwtape Letters. And he picks up on this observation that he sees in the world. And it's this. He says this. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race, in which human beings can fall into about devils, Satan, demons, etc. One error is to not believe in their existence. So the extreme is you don't believe that Satan exists or you don't believe that Satan has any influence in your life. Satan is irrelevant. It's not a problem. I don't have to worry about it. That's the one extreme. C.S. Lewis said there's another one, and the other one is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. This is where Satan is behind every bad thing that happens to you. He's under every single rock. You need to look for him every single day. You are anxious about him. Satan is everywhere. I find that to be a very insightful, and I think that's why it's famous, quote. Because we either fall into these two camps. We're either totally unaware, or don't even believe in him, or we are obsessing about him, and we, it's, it's all we think about. I think sometimes Christians also will fall, find themselves in the middle, and I think that's where God wants us to be. Is to not be obsessive, not be so afraid, but also to be aware, not unaware. In fact, 1 Peter says it this way, and this is how we got on the topic of Satan today, is 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded. Wake up, be aware, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to be aware of what's going on, aware of Satan's strategies, aware of how he works, so that we can know how to resist him and all of his strategies. And we can do that. I want to talk about that. Um, One thing to be aware of is that Satan is old. He's been around for a long time. He studied human beings for a long time. He understands America. He understands the Western mindset. He understands how we think. He understands the battlefield. He knows what he's dealing with. And so given this enemy who's intelligent, aware, he knows, he knows your values, he knows Western values, he knows about America, he knows what trips up humans... You may even know what's going on with you particularly. Let's, let's, let's stop for a second and ask this weird question. What would you do if you were Satan? An odd, bizarre question. But if you were Satan and you were going to attack you, what would you do? What would be your secret plan of attack be? If you wanted to kind of stay hidden and not be noticed, but yet push 
yourself off track, keep you away from God's plan, God's will for your life, what would you do? Think about it. Where are your weaknesses? Where are those buttons that when pushed, you are probably the worst version of yourself? Where do you get distracted? Where do you find yourself getting off track? What are those areas in your life where it seems like, yeah, that would, I would probably do that to me, or I would push this lie, or I would emphasize this? And I think it's fair to say that's probably what Satan's doing. I'm not saying he's causing all those things. I'm not saying he's wholly responsible for all those things. What I'm saying is he's looking at the battlefield, he's looking for the weaknesses, and he's pushing on those things for his own objectives in your life. And so I'm asking you to do a little bit of self-reflection and think about those things. And now what I want to do is that I've always been convinced that there's three things that people get stuck on. And it's this. Sex, power, sex, money, and power. These are three giant categories that we often get stuck in. There's more, there's other ones. And and maybe some of the things that you thought about could fall into this category. And I think Satan pushes on us in each one of these areas, and we need to be aware of it. And under all of it, his strategy is this. He wants us to worship the created. He wants us to worship creation instead of the creator. He wants us to see value and be more enamored and more excited with everything horizontally rather than vertically. Because he knows that life is found here and death is found here. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So he knows if he can get us to look horizontally and be enamored with things that are of creation, rather than him, he knows he'll bring death to us and destruction. Such a happy sermon. (laughs) But that's that's underlying all of it. So it's just a a few observations. What I just told you is actually Romans 1. Romans 1 says this, Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, which is where the battlefield is. It's in your mind. It's the, that's where he wants, your, he wants your attention. He wants your worship. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. There was this giant exchange where you started, where people start to prefer God's creation over God. They find creation and the desires and the pleasures of creation to be more desirable to God. And the result is darkness. (laughs) I was on the phone just a few weeks ago with somebody. And they just told me, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. Tired. And I don't even know. I'm mad at God. Because I've been praying my whole life for him to, like, change me. I'm tired. And you know what? And he said this. I don't even know if I want God's plan for me anymore. When do I get a break? What about me? I'm, I've been unhappy for so long. 
It's time for me. It's time, for, it's time that I get what I want. I couldn't believe what I, this was coming out of the mouth of someone I know and love. Mm. It's real. And, 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 I, and, I, and this, is, this is the sort of thing that doesn't just pivot suddenly. It's like a, it's a, it's a slow fade. It's a, it's, you start to, you, you compromise here and here and here and here and here, and you start to move towards that. So eventually you start hearing those very words come out of your own mouth. I don't care what God thinks about me anymore. I don't care about his plan. I just want my way. And I think in the realm of sex, we have a big problem because of the pervasiveness of it and the way our culture is dealing with it today and how it's presented. Um, I read a book by this guy, Philip Zimbardo. He's a, not, a, not a Christian. He's a, um, he used to be the president of the APA, the American Psychological Association, back in the early 2000s. He wrote a book called Man Disconnected. Um, it's kind of a rough book. There's some swearing in there and things like that. So if you do decide to read it, just a disclaimer, it's not a Christian book. But he, in this book, he says, I'm not claiming to give you any solutions to this. But what I, the reason why I wrote this book was because the research is showing me that for young men in the ages of, in, in their 20s are just being destroyed by two things, video games and porn. The research shows that it's destroying the drive of young men. Where they don't, they're, they're be, they become passive. Where they don't have to fight for anything because it's all delivered to them digitally. And they, and, and they've, they, they become very self-centered. And, self, and, and, and there's this, there's, there's a, a growing amount of women who are complaining, where's all the guys? Where's all the men? Where's the good guys? I've heard this myself from people. Like, there's no good guys out there. And there's no fights. They lose their fights. This is coming from the, 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 the research of a, of a non-Christian going, we need to do something about the, the, uh, the prevalence of sexual morality and, and, and video games in this case. And what I see and, 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 and what I know, what I've own, my experience in my own life is this. The way it works is you're tempted, you're lied to, you're told this is going to be better, this is going to be greater, you should dive into this. And once you dive into it, there's accusation. I can't believe you dived into it. You are a terrible person, but you know what will make you feel better? If you do it again. You do it again. And then, and then all of a sudden it's again the condemnation and you get into this cycle and you go down and down and down and down. And we're seeing so Many people in this place. And it's destroying lives. And Satan is using this a lot. In fact, one of the things that disturbs me a lot is sixth graders having iPhones. Recently was told by someone that like they, they are like, what do, I, what do I do with my son because he's in sixth grade? And everybody... Everyone in the school has an iPhone. And I'm just thinking about Satan going, holy cow, look at, what I, look at all the lies and the temptation and the messages that I can bring through that screen, unfiltered. Look at, all the, look at my ability to, to influence the flesh and to get people focused on this, the horizontal and the creation, and to be enamored with that rather than God. <clears throat> Romans 8 says this, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if you live according by, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Satan knows this. This is why he wants us to be like focused down on the flesh, on our desires, and not this. Focus up. It's all about worship. Worshiping the Creator. Next one is money. Here's a, here's a crazy idea that I thought of on my, on my own. So if, it's, if you don't like this, you can be mad at me. But maybe your financial success is a spiritual attack. You know why? Because Satan knows this. The, from the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so the more financial success that you have in your business and in your, in your world, there is a greater, to that degree, there is a greater chance that your love for money could increase. I see it both ways. I see it for the, even for those that don't have. Like, there, there, there's, if you don't have money, I know, I know in, there's times in my life where I, I didn't have funds, and if only, if I could only reach this. Whenever I got money, it was such a huge deal. And then I'm being on the side of having money going, man, what if I were to lose this? What if I were to lose this? And there's like this fear, and it's like I'm going to work harder. I'm not going to lose this thing. The love of money is easy to come by, and it's the root of all kinds of evils. And I don't have to give many examples. You can think of them yourself, of what money motivates people to do or not do. Hebrews 13 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's that worth to you? God will never leave you nor forsake you. Or this, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There was recently a book written with a title I thought was great. It said, The, the Christian Atheist. Where essentially we, by our word and tongue, profess Christ, but in reality, we are practical atheists. Because we rely on ourselves and our own capabilities. Do we live in such a place where we're desperate for God, where we can truly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Not, I am my helper, I will not fear. The love of money is one way I think that Satan destroys lives, destroys relationships, and gets at his objectives. The next last one is this power. The capacity to get what you want or pursue what you value. I've been hearing more and more of this type of attitude. It's this. It says this. I am powerful. I have great capacity to get wealth. I have the power of intellect to outsmart my competitors. I admire my work ethic, my ingenuity, my timing, my shrewdness, my relational savvy, my courage to take the perfect risk. I'm not wealthy for no reason. I'm wealthy because I have the roots of power within me. And compare that to this, where Jesus says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then Peter, and he said this very plainly, and then Peter, the one who wrote the book we've been studying, stands up and rebukes Jesus and says, don't say these things. We're not going to let this happen. No way. Not past my dead body. And guess what? Peter, Jesus turns and sees his disciples. He rebukes Peter back and says, get behind me, Satan. 
He sees in Peter a satanic perspective. He sees in Peter this horizontal perspective. He says, You've been set, you're not setting your minds on the things of God, the vertical things, but on the things of man. You are trusting in your own self-sufficiency. Hear, hear me clearly. Christians should work hard. Christians should have high high standards of excellence when they do their work. Christians should be the most ethical, the, the, the best workers in any workplace. We really should be. But that shouldn't be our source of confidence. It shouldn't be something we brag about or find our pride in. Our pride is in the king of kings, the creator, who gives us the next breath we breathe. Because without it, we're done. And, the, and that when we start to get into that thinking of I'm better than the next person, we're starting to put ourselves on the throne. And suddenly we become our own gods, even in subtle ways. <clears throat> and then Peter, uh, I don't want to leave this out, but Jesus finishes that passage with, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Is that a value in our culture, to deny yourself? It's, it's Christianity 101. It's core theology for us. It's a core principle to deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow me. Or this, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Satan wants to mess this up in our minds. We live in a war zone and the battlefield is the mind. And First Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood all throughout the world. I want to take a moment, and I want to pray for those who may see that they're under spiritual attack. In fact, I want to ask you to come forward if that's you. If you sense that perhaps there's a, there's a chance that you are having a, you, you are experiencing spiritual warfare, where Satan is having his way with your family, with your life, with your thinking, in some of the ways we talked about, or maybe in other ways, Will you just come forward, and I want to give you the opportunity for the whole church to pray for you and to pray and resist Satan in your life. You can do it on behalf of yourself or do it on behalf of others. We don't typically do this, but just come. Just come. And come, just come kneel before it right here. And, and I'm, I'm just going to pray, and we'll all pray together and ask that Satan's work be undone in your life in the name of Jesus. Come on behalf of yourself. Come on behalf of others. And the whole church is going to pray for you.
Let's do this. Um, all of you stay, stay kneeling. The rest of the church, will you stand? Let's just stand together on behalf of our brothers and sisters up here. And can I just ask for a few of you just to pray out loud, just and ask for God to, God's will to be done in the lives of the few who came up here and that we would just do, do battle against Satan on their behalf. Just go ahead. Someone just pray out. more. One more. Yes, Lord. Yes, God, we just... God, I just acknowledge that there's pain up here, that there's hurt, and you see it. You see why every single person came up here this, this morning. You know what's in their hearts and their minds, Lord. You know the burden that they carry. You know the pain they carry, Lord. You know, and you hear the, the, their prayers, just like you heard Daniel's prayers. You hear their prayers, Lord. And you are sending help. And God, we pray on behalf of them as a church, as brothers and sisters, as your creation, that in the name of Jesus, nothing, Satan, demons, whatever, would get in the way of what you want to accomplish, Lord. That your will would be done. That you would intervene in marriages and families and, and that you would bring healing and that you would... Turn people's eyes back to you, Lord. You would restore relationships. You would bring employment. 
Lord, all these different, all these different scenarios, Lord, we just, we ask God that you, your will would be done. And then in the name of Jesus, we would see an amazing work. God, protect them. May your hand be upon them and their families and those that they represent. God, we pray that your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys are coming forward. If you have a seat for just a moment. You guys. Let me close with Revelation 12. Revelation 12, 7 through 11 says this. Now, here's the picture. Here's the picture. Now, war rose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon that is Satan was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a voice in heaven saying this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accusers of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. We conquer Satan and resist him by standing on the blood of the Lamb and by boldly speaking our word of testimony of who Jesus is. And so, when we thought about this, this sermon this morning, we thought about how to end this. We didn't want to end it in such a way where it was this real downer type of thing. We wanted to end it more in a kind of rock-out, celebratory, a little more, a little more light-hearted way, like you would with your, when you're on, your, on the winning team, okay? So this is going to be a little bit of a different way to end, because you won't know the song, but it's a David Crowder song. It's called Run, Devil, Run, and, and we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming out this morning. I'm going to pray for the, for the, uh, um, the offering, and then we'll, we'll end our service. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence here today, and for what you did in this place. We ask, God, you would help us to be sober-minded and aware of your work in the world and also have a healthy awareness of the enemy's work in the world. Help us, Lord, to resist Satan and know that he will flee when we do that, Lord. Lord, help us to know and trust in the victory and the power that you provide, Lord. Help us to have a rightly ordered perspective where we look to you, where our eyes are focused on you, where we worship you. Help us to avoid worshiping the creation. And so God, now, as an act of worship, we give. We give um, what is actually yours in the first place. We give and we, we worship you and we thank you for the ways that you provide for us and for what you're doing in this church and 
God, we just, we trust you. We put our full weights on you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen.